Good morning. Please bow your head with me in prayer. Come before the Father and his Son and their spirit. Thank you, Lord, for Sabbath rest, for work to fill our week, for the sacraments and the sacred words of Scripture and the fellowship of your body. Deliver Redeemer out of the darkness of unbelief. Let us lift up the name of God in praise. Let us be renewed in communion with you, washed in your word as your faithful bride, altered in heart and mind by grateful praise of you. Let us be prepared for action, molded as a tool for the tearing down of strongholds and the building of your kingdom. Let Christ shine in our eyes, and may the power of your spirit flow through us to the world. Bless our fellowship, our songs, our words of adoration and supplication, our hearing and our doing. Bless our worship service and all our preparations for it. May our worship honor you and delight you, and may we be transformed by it. In Christ and as Christ and for Christ, amen. Amen. So here we are at the end of the five weeks. Five weeks we've been talking about ghettos and how we're going to get out of the ghetto. Um, Usually you hear sermons about why Christians should go into the ghetto. Uh, Those are totally different in nature. Uh, And the reason that I've spent this much time talking about this is actually because um, quite a while ago I was struck by just how inadequate and unfruitful uh, my own friendships are and, and most of our friendships. I mean, I know most of you. I spend time with a lot of you, and, and there seemed to be a theme developing. And uh, in talking to Dean, we, we agreed that there just doesn't seem to be that level of intimate, loving friendship that, that many of us, I think, would like to have. Um, I, I think most of us would say we wish we had better friends, that we were better friends. And so what ended up happening is, uh, working my way backwards, um, I came up with this idea of uh, the ghetto, reading a book, actually. It, it was describing a, a community that has no effect on the culture around it, that's very inward-facing. And I was like, oh, that, that sounds familiar. <laughs> that sounds like a church I go to. And uh, so that was actually what I worked on for a long time. But, but it wasn't enough. There was something else. It's just you're in a ghetto, but why are you in a ghetto? You start asking questions like that, you get down to the root problem. And, and the root problem is that we aren't very good friends with Jesus. He, he's a great friend, but we're not great friends to him. And, and that's actually what uh, has caused us to live in ghettos. That's what's caused us to stay in them. And that's actually why last week that, that was the sermon about how to get out. You get out of the ghetto by having a better relationship, friendship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and since 2011, I've been preaching. For the first time in that amount of time, I seriously considered preaching the same sermon twice in a row. <laughs> uh, I, I, I kind of oscillated because last week's is just that important. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, I love you, but this seems almost anticlimactic this week after last week. If you don't have a face-to-face intimate relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, everything that I say today is meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless and burdensome. It'll heap up all kinds of trouble for you. And and so I'm going to say it almost ad nauseum. Go back to last week. Everything that I say here is assuming that you are spending regular fellowship with the Lord Jesus as a a friend. Uh, Not groveling at his feet, not, you know, putting in your requests like like a vending machine. Um, Not just thinking deep thoughts about theology like, What's transubstantiation? No, I'm, t- I'm talking about sitting down, having a conversation through the Word of God as it's, it's being declared to you as you're reading it, 
what he has to say, and then responding in prayer. If you're not doing that, okay, everything I'm going to say today is meaningless. So just remember that right here at the outset. So the ghetto, the ghetto that we live in, I'm, I'm going to clarify one more time just what I mean by that because it's a very uh, distinct word. Usually when we hear the word ghetto now, we think Compton, we think inner city, low income, ethnic. Uh, and there, there's a lot of that in what I'm saying about it, but that's, it's a much older idea than that. Uh, in Europe, in, in the Middle Ages, um, people would leave, say, Italy and move to France, and they would create a community, uh, an Italian community. And everyone there would speak Italian and eat Italian and shop Italian, and they were usually not treated very well. They usually didn't have a lot of influence on the culture. Um, I think in World War II, we're very, it's very common to talk about the, the Jewish ghettos. Um, and th- that was a big thing. It was very easy to round them up. It was very easy to wall them in because they lived in little walled communities by, them, by themselves. And, and so this is what I'm talking about. Uh, through isolation and a lack of resources and ill treatment, we ourselves live in ghettos of self and ghettos in our families and ghettos in this community. And, and that's what we've needed to get out of. Uh, and Christ says he's, he, in John 16, 16, he's called us and equipped us to bear abundant fruit that lasts. So, so going back, why is it that the promises of God are so astounding and what we experience so often is not astounding? Abundant fruit, really. I, I don't know about you, but I don't feel very fruitful. And I'm the father of five children, and I don't always feel very fruitful. Um, because you read the scriptures, and, and that's... It's not just about having the kids, right? It's not about having the friends. He says, love as I have loved you. And that's bearing fruit. Do the people in your life feel like you love them unconditionally? Do do the people in your life feel like they know Jesus because they know you? Now, that's a tall order. It's a very tall order. And, I mean, what quickly comes to my mind is, well, I'm not Jesus. Okay. And that's actually excellent theology. Excellent. You are not and you are, you are not called to be in this sense. We already have a Savior. God the Father already has a Son. Okay? There's all kinds of things that we can't do because Jesus did them. They're His. He's the Messiah. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the Lamb of God. But He came and lived in such a way that we would imitate. There are things He did He wants us to do. And, and too often, I'm not Jesus is really a pietistic excuse for just not doing the things that we're called to do. Uh, you're not going to love the friends in your life perfectly. You're not. That's a, it, 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 you're required to have a different kind of friendship. Okay? Jesus has a friendship with you, perfect. He communicates perfectly. He deals with issues perfectly. He leads perfectly. He loves perfectly. He suffers with you perfectly. You are going to go out and you're going to be, at times, a very bad friend. But, but that's not the point. You're not Jesus. That's not the point. The point is, we are unfinished disciples. He said it is finished on the cross. He's called us into the family of God. A lot of the things that God says about us seem like they're fine. there's finality to it. And there are. You are called and you are equipped. Un- unconditional, unearned, unnegotiable. Yet you're unfinished. You're still here in this world. You're still carrying around that body, which likes to do all kinds of things it's not supposed to, right? As we learn from Proverbs, we, the bait comes, and it's hard to not follow the bait into the snare of death. Our flesh likes things it shouldn't. 
Uh, there are things that we should like that turn into sinful things because our flesh likes them too much. You are unfinished. Uh, the whole point of having a relationship is that you, before you deal with another person's spec, you have to deal with your log. So by nature, relationships are, are self-improving because you have to go in and deal with the stuff that's going on in here in order to address what's going on in the person next to you. And, and most of us avoid close relationships because we're just fine with the log. Right? We gravitate towards people, and this is a real blessing if you have people like this in your life. Love covers a multitude. If you have people like that, where you don't get worried about the little stuff, you have a lot of grace for one another, amen, God bless you. That's not the only kind of relationships you're called to have. If your friendships are always that easy, you need to get some new friends. Don't necessarily chuck the old ones. Just get some additional friends. If you don't have a friend that, ha- that causes you to have to deal with logs in your own eyes, your friendships are very bad. They're, they're not the kind of friendship you're called to have. So friendship is not the point of this whole sermon series, like friendship with people sitting next to you. Friendship with Jesus is the point. Because if you know how much you've been loved, you will love well. Right? Saved, you will, you will save others. You, endured, you will endure others. The patience you've received is the patience you'll give. It's a reflective relationship, as we've talked a great deal about. So, that's the point. I totally lost where I was right there. Did everyone notice that? <laughs> I, yeah, it's true. Suddenly I was like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. All right. Friendship with Jesus is the point. That's where I was going with this. So everything I'm going to say today, which I'm going to get to it here very quickly. I promise this is almost over, this introduction. This is, the, this is how you know you've gotten out of the ghetto. Getting out of the ghetto is a better relationship with Jesus. Everything I'm going to say now is simply going to the doctor and getting a checkup. How's the blood pressure? Do his eyes work? What, how, did, did he gain a bunch of weight? Right? You go to the doctor and they do a bunch of tests on you to see if you're healthy. Everything I'm going to say now is how you test whether you've gotten out of the ghetto. Because it's not just enough that we get out. We have to stay out. Have to, right? Getting out of it turns into ghetto avoidance. It's a whole other way of thinking. So what I'm going to talk about today is how you can tell. If you look through these things periodically, you'd be like, how am I doing? Am I living in a ghetto? And I believe if you look at the specific things I'm saying today, you will be able to tell if you're in a ghetto or out of a ghetto. Because a friendship with Jesus, that love that he gives us, that friendship that he gives us, will not stay between the two of you. It's impossible. It's impossible. That joy, that goodness, that love, once you're beholding the face of God and seeing it and really, really taking a hold of it for yourself, it, it, it is impossible to keep it. Right? Look, throughout human history, what happens when the church is the church? You can't hold it down. You can't, you can't keep it back. The love spills out into everything and everyone. So when, when I was in high school is a metaphor here. I was in a guitar class. Uh, I clearly didn't continue to play guitar. But I took the class for two years, and we did this exercise at the very beginning where the teacher would, uh, we would all tune our guitars. And, and this is, I can't even describe to you how impossible this is for me. I, I, have, I love music, don't get me wrong, but I cannot tell the difference between an A and an E or even what that means. 
So we would tune the guitar. Everyone's sitting there with their guitar, and they're turning the knobs, and I'm looking around, and I'm turning the knob, and I just, I'm like, uh, I guess this is what you do. And I never got it. And then, so what would happen is then we would break into groups, and they'd give us a song, you know, My Guitar Gently Weeps, and mine always did. And, and we would have to play the song together. Here's this group of people. And everyone, you, get, you see this look on everyone's face, like, what is that sound? <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, I was out of tune with the teacher, and so no matter who I played with in the class, I was out of tune with. And, and that, that is the metaphor for this whole thing. When, when Jesus sits you down and he says, tune to this A, not only are you in tune with him, you're in tune with everyone else who's in tune with him. And, and what we experience right now is we're all sitting around trying to play our guitar gently weeps, <laughs> and, and there's, it doesn't sound right. And so you've got to go back to the source and go back to the teacher and be like, humble enough to be like, yeah, I tried with the A, I just, I can't. Like, can I use one of those electric tuners? She still wouldn't let me. But the point is, you've got to go back to the source and tune to the source. Because if you're tuned to Jesus and you're tuned to Jesus and you're tuned to Jesus and you are, then we all are tuned in tune with one another. Okay? And so moving forward, this is how we know we're in tune with one another and with Jesus. Because we're unfinished. The work of friendship. The basis of friendship between humans is Jesus' friendship with believers. The whole plan of salvation, the entire thing, is summed up by Jesus as friendship. You've never seen greater love than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. Well, that's talking about the salvation of the people of God. Friendship is at the heart of it. Friendship is at the heart of our relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is why, if you actually think about the way that Jesus talks about love, you see that friendship is at the heart of a lot of relationships. I'm supposed to lay down my life for my spouse, my wife. Well, that right there is friendship. Right? And that, that changes it a lot. I know we complementarians and headship guys, we like that stuff. We're like, yeah, cool. I am the head of this home. Well, yeah, you are. But if you take the friendship part out of it, isn't that headship awfully ugly? It's pretty nasty, actually. Friendship is crucial. Love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds like laying my life down for my neighbor. So the whole point of having a neighbor is being their friend. So friendship is key. Friendship is at the center of our relationship to God, the center of our relationship, our calling to every person that we know. So this changes, I think, what friendship is. I thought friendship was going to pubs and watching Seahawks games, right? Uh, sure, you can do that, but that's not really friendship as Jesus would describe it. In order to be a good friend, Christ-likeness is important. Love is the point. No greater love has been seen than a man laying his life down for his friend. Love one another as I have loved you, he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love doesn't just happen with the, with, when you click with someone. Okay? You think, oh, I really like this person. There's someone just like me. And you think, oh, this is a great friend. And then you go on, and that, it's just like that. There's no give and take. There's no growth. There's no destination in the friendship. That's not really friendship. That's not. Biblical friendship exists when two or more people, bound together by a common faith in Jesus Christ, pursue him and his kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. I'm going to read that again. Biblical friendship exists when two or more people, bound together by a common faith in Jesus Christ, pursue him and his kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. Now, I know what you're wondering. What about my friends who are not Christians? I'm going to come back to that in a moment. 
Okay? I'm going to put a little star there. We're coming back around to that. But friendship are two people who love Jesus living to be more like Jesus together. That's what real biblical friendship is all about. Now, there's, you've got to have all kinds of cautions. Now, right? how many people are in this church? There's 22 households, 80 people or something. Now, am I, am I, I'm not saying that you need to be friends with everyone the same way. That would kill you. That would, that's impossible. That's not what God is calling us to do. If you think, look at his life, he goes out to the masses, he preaches, and out of the masses come you know, 120. Out of 120, he sends out 70. Out of the 70, he's got the 12. Out of the 12, he's got the three. Right? He has these concentric circles. And the closer you get to the center, the more time he spends with those individuals, the more investment he makes, until you get to the very center. Who's the, uh, who's the apostle that Jesus loved? John. Who is it that he said, John, behold your mother? It's John. And so he had a closer, closest friend in that. So you are not going to be able to be friends with everyone on the same level. Uh, there's been a lot of work done on this. Actually, the military does this. There's, there's only a certain number of people you can invest heavily in. And after that, it's too much. And believe it or not, the number is 12. Uh, that's very interesting how uh, all that military science worked out to find out what the Bible told us thousands of years ago. Anyway, I digress. And so um, squads are, are no bigger than 12 generally, because you, you can keep track of that many people. Um, so if you, if, if you look at your own life, like I said, I have a wife and five kids. That's six people right there. I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> Before I even leave the home, I'm down by six, in a sense. So I, I am not suddenly saying, hey, everybody, you're going to be the BFFs with everybody in this whole church, and you're going to be going out with drink, and have drinks and talking about Jesus with everyone. It's just not going to work that way. What you need to be able to do as, as I work through this, you, if you actually initiate and invest and do the things that I'm saying, the people that are your closer, the, the ones that should be closest to you, will, will reveal itself. We don't know who to get close to, and so we don't get close to anybody. But if you partially, if you apply what I'm saying here as we continue, you will figure out who to be really close to. You'll figure it out. So I just wanted to put that out there. So now let's talk about the three pillars of friendship. What makes friendship friendship? Well, the first is commonality. You have to start here. If you, I've known people where I don't have anything in common with them, and so besides just a friendly acquaintance, it really can't go any further than that. Uh, maybe you guys have experienced this. You know, they're, they're into mechanics and you're into sports. I mean, like you, you try to talk about families. Well, they're from a small family. I'm from a big... You can't find any relatable material. Uh, commonality has to happen. Now, we have a trick as Christians because we're made in the image of the same God as everyone. And if you're, if you're also a Christian, then we have the same dad, same brother, same household. So we, th- this excuse well, I don't have anything in common with them, kind of doesn't exist for us on the same level. Because you should be able to have, right, Jesus makes one new man, slave, man, woman, Greek, Jew. He makes one out of them. He, he eliminates all barriers between people. And so you should be able to be friends with anyone. Sitting here, believers in Jesus Christ, you should be able to be friends with anyone. But commonality, if you think about it, what friendships that you do have, because you work together. Kids, soccer teams, church, you're made in God's image, you ride the same bus. Um, I, I, have, I have made friends with coworkers. 
uh, who went on to continue to be my friends. I've had coworkers that didn't, I mean, because we worked in the same place. I had a great friend I thought would be a lifelong friend. It taught me a lot, but it was because we worked in the same place. And, and at the place I worked, we were, we were very close. But then once the job, that commonality went away, it was at, it's been very difficult to create any other commonality. So if you don't have commonality, like what I'm t- the secondary commonality, like going to work together, you have to create it. If there's somebody that you want to get closer to, you have to create that commonality. You have to look for it. And how do you do that? The, th- the second pillar is growing in experience. Okay? You have commonality and you're growing in experience. If you don't do stuff together, talk together, <laughs> expose your lives to one another, the friendship doesn't go anywhere. You have to have experiences. Um, I, had a, I have two friends since I was 14. Uh, one of them I've continued to have experiences with. One of them we just get together and talk about the old experiences. The one friendship has is, is almost become nothing because you don't add to it. It's, I mean, who wants to sit around at the age of 36 and still talk about such and such from the middle school days. I mean, <laughs> some people do, but I don't. He doesn't. So and it, it, that, that's very, it's very true. If you don't keep doing new things together, new experiences to work through together, to enjoy together, to so- sorrow through together, then the friendship doesn't go anywhere. So growing in experience. You have, to, you have to plan things together. You have to do things together in order to continue to build on everything that I'm saying here. Now, the final pillar, okay, we have, what, what do we have? What's the first pillar? Commonality. Say it with me, everyone. Commonality. Commonality. The second pillar is what? Growing in experience. Some people were in my friendship class because they're just like right on it. The third one is moving towards a destination. Now, the first two pillars I think most of you can do. I think most of you can find commonality with people and have experiences. It's this third one that I think is the biggest thing missing from most of our friendships, heading somewhere. Right? If you don't know where your marriage is headed, if you don't know where your kids are headed, it makes it very difficult to parent them, doesn't it? If I don't know what, what does a 25-year-old Titus look like, if I don't have some idea in my head of what that looks like, now, not a rigid in stone sort of, if he doesn't turn out to be this, I'm going to lose my mind. But you have to have some idea of what you're parenting towards. You have to have some idea, of what, what is, where's this marriage going? Where is this friendship going? And, and friendship always has the same destination. Christ-likeness. It, it, that's the point. If I'm dealing with your spec, by first dealing with my own log, if we're walking together, encouraging one another, building one another up towards what? Christ-likeness. That's the point. All the commands to love as I have loved you, Jesus is at the center of all those. And so you have to have a destination in mind. If you're just hanging out with people, that's probably why it seems like it's not a very fulfilling friendship, because you're just hanging out together. Uh, It's easier to let love cover a multitude. I'm just here to have beers and a good time. right? We're going to go to this uh, sewing shop and look at patterns together, whatever your friendship is based on. I'm sure Joel doesn't do that. But, I mean, if, you, if your friendship is just going into uh, UW games, I mean, what kind of friendship is that? It's not going anywhere. It's not, it's not headed anywhere. So here's where I'm going to make a distinction between unbelievers and believers. Friendships are either working from the commonality of Jesus towards Christ-likeness, or if you're friends with unbelievers, you're working towards commonality and Christ-likeness. Okay, you're either working from it or working towards it. 
So if you have unbelieving friends and you like to just get together with them, stop. Stop now. Do not have fellowship just that is going nowhere with people of the world. They have a different master. They see the world differently. They expect different things. It's going to be too much temptation. Now, if you have a destination in mind, then that's very different. Right? You're showing them what Christ is like. You sit at the feet of Jesus, and you want them to know what it's like, and so you exhibit that to them. That's a, um, that's a very different kind of friendship. And, and it, it, it's not underhanded. It's not like a bait and switch. Like, hey, we're going to have this poker game. And then you invite them over, and, and you take all their money, and then at the end you're, you're going to do a Bible study. Like, don't, don't be that guy or gal. Okay, don't, don't do that. Um, that, that's unpleasant. But, but don't, I, I think the Bible's very clear. I don't think I need to make this argument. It's not a good idea to yoke yourself with people of the world unless you have a destination in mind. You're going unguarded. It's very unsafe. It's very, very, very bad for you. In his confession, the great theologian Augustine writes, No friends are true friends unless you, my God, bind them fast to one another through that love which is sown in our heart by the Holy Ghost. Christ has to be at the center of your friendships. And if he's not, how are you going to endure these people? Because they're sinners. They, they, they sin, you sin. How are you ever going to deal with that unless Jesus is there in the, in, with you? If you never bring Jesus into the friendship, your own sin will destroy it. Your own apathy will destroy it. You will not be able to love them like Christ loved you. You won't be able to do it. Tim Keller wrote, Friendship is only possible when there is a common vision and passion. For believers in Christ, despite enormous differences in class and temperament and culture, race, sensibility, and personal history, there is an underlying commonality that is more powerful than them all. This is not so much a thread as indestructible cable. If, If your friendship is based on Christ headed towards Christ, then it, it, it is going to be indestructible. Okay, so what are the three pillars? First pillar is what? Commonality. Commonality. All right. Second pillar? Growing and experience. Growing and experience. Third one? Thank you. Okay. Now, we, um, one of the things that many of us have, uh, this is our time to kick Facebook around. It's, I, it's not a mic sermon unless I knock Facebook on some level. But relationship substitutes. We have a lot of relationship substitutes. Uh, one of them is uh, the clicks or BFFs. Um, this is my BFF. I just love them. And, and you can have a friendship, like I said earlier, that's just as easy as anything. And it doesn't call anything up inside of you. And it's not hard on any level. And if you have friendships like that, you're not getting very deep with those people. You don't really know those people. Those people don't really know you. And it's not a friendship that's really worthwhile. Um, if you have a really good friend that, that fills you up with joy, it's not that kind of friendship, right? We just love to go shopping together. It's amazing. I mean, that's the kind of thing people do. Um, it just works, and, and that's not good for you. Social media is another relationship substitute. People think they know you, but really it's just about likes and shares, right? I, can, I, can, I almost want to prove this. I want to start to like, revamp my Facebook account and try to just like go like I'm in the military and just try to prove that I am just by what I put on Facebook. It's, I mean, like, I wonder how many people I can convince I have a totally different life than I have just using Facebook. I think it wouldn't take me very long. Start the timer, it take me a week. <laughs> because Facebook is all about what you want people to see. 
right? Why does that person always look happy in those pictures? They must be really happy. Look at, right? Everyone's family on Facebook looks amazing. Um, and, and, and that's what it does. It, it distances people from what you're really like. What, what another, un, another thing I find conservative or liberal, Christian or non, is, is it puts you very, very close to people who think exactly like you. Uh, right? We, nobody wants to go on Facebook if you're sane on any level and get into any kind of kerfuffle. Right? And so what we do is we try to keep all of that down. I've done it. There's something that starts where I got a liberal cousin knocking a conservative friend, and I just delete the post because I, I do not want that. So what ends up happening over time, though, is you don't really ever discuss anything. Uh, you just end up talking to people who think just like you, who act just like you. It's just an online ghetto. Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, they're all just online ghettos. Another uh, friendship substitute is the specialized friend. I, I was recently talking to a buddy uh, from work, and, and he mentioned, uh, yeah, I got, a, I got one friend who's got a truck, I got one friend who's got a membership to this gun range, and he's going down, and it's almost <laughs> so I'm like, do you pay for anything? I don't think you pay for anything. I don't think you pay for anything. Uh, Proverbs 19.6 says, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. I remember this. Uh, I worked at the movie theater, and I got in for free, and I could take like three people in with me for free, and I've never had so many friends in my whole life. I mean, people couldn't wait to hang out with me. And they never bought the popcorn. I always thought that was kind of funny. Um, I actually had a friend who, he said, hey, let's go to the movies, and he actually had his girlfriend, and it was like a date. I was just getting them in. <laughs> so, I mean, it's true, right? When, if you have friends that can get you stuff, yeah, that, that person has no trouble finding friends. Another uh, thing is people is projects. Right? You don't have any other intent, but you see this person, you see the problem, and you're just going to fix them. Um, I w I'm going to help you. You're going to be better after being my friend. And it's all one-sided, and that's very, very scary. Uh, iron sharpens iron. Okay, you gotta, there's two things there, two people getting nicked, two people getting cut, two people getting worked on. If you're just the iron going out there, shaping and molding you know, the wood... And that's all you're doing is chiseling away at people. That you're not going to have very lasting friendships. It's a substitute. All right. So what are the three pillars again, everybody? Commonality. Experience. Destination. I'm not going to make you do the um, friendship substitutes. It's not worth it. All right. So how do you do this then? How do you build it? How do you build a friendship? There's two things that you need to do. In initiate and invest. You start, you start it up, and you invest in it. That, that's how it works. And, and again, this, is, this comes directly from Jesus. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. He initiated. He was in heaven. He crossed the distance to come to us. He stepped out to come towards us. No one goes towards him unless he has already come towards us. Does this make sense? It... it, it Nobody takes a step towards God until, unless God has first taken a step towards that man. And so if you're just sitting around waiting for everyone to be your good friend, you're doing it wrong. Okay? To be like Jesus, you have to initiate. You have to cross that gap. I've never talked to that person before. I don't know what their name is. And we leave it at that. Well, go find out their name. Go talk to them. Uh, find out what the commonality is. And this is why we're commanded to greet one another. Uh, this is one thing that it, it initiates. If I come in here in the morning, and all I'm here about is this church service, and I'm just, it's business, 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 it, it's not the same thing as if you go around and you're greeting people. 
right? Greeting people creates the connection, the emo- emotional, personal connection. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, and don't also do what I just did, where you just, hey, 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 and you don't really make eye contact with anyone, you're just in there shaking hands, like high fives. God came towards us, and so we should go towards others. Uh, greeting people is, is one of the ways to do that. Okay, and greet the kids. Greet visitors. Greet returning visitors. Uh, at work, I, 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 this always startles people. People come up to my window, and they want to get down to whatever case it is they're working on, and I, I start out with the, hey, how are you? Hi, I'm Michael, and I shake hands, uh, which is, to them, just very, it's very off-putting. Um, but what, what ends up happening is they, I'm, I'll be honest, have a better experience at Shoreline Court than I think most people do because I'm interested in the person. So when you go to Safeway, uh, don't just, the checker is, is a person, okay? They're not a machine. So say hello, right? That's a lot closer than usual. Greeting people is something that I think demonstrates the love of God because we're, we're crossing this gap of not knowing you. We're reaching out to you. It's amazing how the effect that that has on people. So initiating, you go up and you greet someone. And then what you do is you have a thoughtful conversation with them. Now, here's what I mean by a thoughtful conversation. You do not have to work really hard at being an interesting person. Okay, don't, don't worry at home about, well, I wonder what's going on in the news and I've got to read a good book and I've got to come up with some quote about something or I've got to be able to have something interesting to say. That's not what makes people interesting. Um, having information like that, if you have a friend who would in, be interested in a quote, by all means, write it down and share it with them. But if you're going to have thoughtful conversations, it's as easy as ask questions. Interesting people are interested. That's what makes them interesting. If, if I come up to you and I just start talking about what I'm reading and what I watched and oh this and all that and all this, you're not going to think I'm very interested in you, are you? No, you're not. You're going to be like, that guy likes the sound of his own voice. That guy is just using me as, as like a blank palette to paint how interesting he is on there. Interesting people are interested. So you have to follow a script. Follow a script. You walk up to someone, you start conversations. How are you? How's work? How's the family? What are you doing for the holidays? It's not that hard. It's just a bunch of questions you ask people. Because what, what do you think someone's going to do uh, if you ask them questions? They're going to answer them. And then they're going to start talking about themselves. And then they're going to walk away and think, man, that was an interesting person that I just talked to. It, it's, and Right? It, this is true. Uh, another thing they found, believe it or not, people love the sound of their own name. I, I'm shocked. So the more you use someone's name in a conversation, uh, the more that person is enjoying the conversation. Uh, and it's, it's literally done tests. Like your brain is actually more engaged and more active at the sound of your own voice or the sound of your own name being said by another person. And so greet people, ask them questions, think of questions. If you get to know somebody after a little while, you can think of good questions. Uh, you don't, don't <laughs> this has happened, don't, don't ask them the same questions like you didn't, like didn't that guy just talk to me last week and ask me where I was from? Why does he ask me where I'm from every time? Uh, this happened, I saw a, a gal I knew from high school at Mars Hill, and for like consecutive weeks, she'd forgotten that she had seen me. Uh, I'd see her every couple of weeks. It was hilarious. She would ask me the exact same questions. What are you doing? What have you been up to since school? And I told her different things every time. <laughs> and, and she never remembered. 
And, and she, was, she, she, was, she was exactly the same as when she was in high school. That's exactly what she was like. So she's very fun. You're like, wow, this person's really interested in me. And then they don't remember anything. Um, and so, I, yeah, I was a logger at one point, and then I had been in the, I'd been overseas in the military, and I won the lottery, I think, one time. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was just she never remembered. So don't be that person, okay? Because uh, what what you need to do, the whole point of asking the questions is following their affections. So you follow a script, you ask questions, think of the questions that you're going to ask someone you don't know, think of questions you're going to ask people you do know, and then f- people what they care about will come out in the answers. Well, they keep mentioning this sick aunt. They keep talking about work. They keep talking about this. They keep talking about they're worried about their car. They're they're very excited about Seahawks coming up. I mean, follow the affections. What people care about will come out in what they say. Okay, and and then the last one is follow up, like like my example with my poor classmate. Remember what people say. Now this is there's this is helpful because then I would not ask 15 different people questions at after church because you're not going to remember anything at that point you're going to be like uh, no I don't I don't remember any of the answers and then next week you'll ask someone about their dog and they're like I don't have a dog um, and that'll be embarrassing so pick a few people ask them meaningful questions okay follow their affections and then you know this is this will shock them the following week follow up hey how did that go. Hey, you were saying before that you were worried about that. How, how is that? And, and it gives you an opportunity to ask more questions. Interesting people are interested. And so if you have friends already, make time for them. Uh, it's amazing what this can do. I mean, it, at, at the heart of it is actually a communication device, believe it or not. It's not just for me to check on Facebook or Pinterest or Instagram. You can actually send messages to people in this. <laughs> it's amazing. You can FaceTime them and text them and email them. Uh, you can be that guy who does all of those. Um, I would get to know someone really well before you start doing all of that. Uh, it's, it's like my dad, right? He calls, he calls again, then he texts, then he FaceTimes, <laughs> then he Facebook messages, and all in like 10 minutes. Uh, and it's really funny because he really, he, he is of the mind, and you may know people like this, who doesn't think you should ever not be able to get a hold of someone. And talking to them is the most important thing. And uh, he only does it to people who really who know him well, like his kids and his wife. But it's hilarious because you're like, oh, there's number one, there's number two, number three. No, um, he really wants it. Number six, I know it. I must actually call him back right now uh, because it's really important. But it's amazing how you can communicate with people. Do you feel like you don't see people from church all week? Are you worried about forgetting the follow-up question uh, by Sunday? When you think of the follow-up question, text them the follow-up question. If you want to see somebody, FaceTime them, right? Two moms could actually FaceTime in the evening pretty easily. Pray together. Talk to one another. Make communication a priority, right? Greet people, ask questions, follow up, follow the affections. This is, this is, where, this is how you get information about people. This is how you get to know people. Um, something I'm going to add here, it's really long, I didn't realize how long this was, but table fellowship. Uh, the reason I say that, it's very interesting how at the heart of God's revelation of himself is food. He makes a garden where we grow food. Uh, his message to the world now is a broken body and, and wine set before you. Uh, in Luke, it's amazing how Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And if you go and you look actually at the events, he's eating in every chapter of that book. He's either on his way or coming from or actually participating in 
the table. Uh, and he's not, a, he's not a glutton or a drunkard. He was accused of that. Why do you think he was? Well, because <laughs> the man liked to eat pita bread okay, and fish. And, and why? Well, tables are fascinating because everyone experiences them at least three times a day. Uh, at, at, we need sustenance. He uses food constantly as an example of why they need the word of God, why they need him. Uh, table fellowship is crucial if you're going to have good friendships. Now, we're getting into a thorny issue here of hospitality. Uh, we, we, um, this is a hard one for us. There, there's a lot of reasons we don't do this, good ones and bad ones. If I, have two certain, if I invited certain families over here, just two of them, we could, between the three of us, have like 30 children. Uh, and I, that does, and I, it doesn't sound very fun uh, on a Sunday afternoon when I want to sit down on my porch and drink rosé. Having 30 children in my house does not sound like fun. And, and so that, that's one, one thing. Uh, I know a guy who uh, had a small apartment. They didn't have kids. But they never avoided in, inviting large families over because they would go to a park. Uh, this Actually, someone just did this with us recently. Uh, they knew that we would destroy their house because we will. And so <laughs> what they did is they let us destroy a park. Um, <laughs> and, and it's amazing. You just take everything with you. And then what's also nice, I know this is another issue for most of us on Sundays, is there's a start and stop time, right? You're not going to sit at a park for five hours. Uh, people will sit in my house for eight hours or nine hours, but you're not going to sit at a park for ten hours, right? You get like, okay, it's done now, we can go. Um, sometimes when we finally get to the actual fellowship of hospitality, we overdo it because it's been so long, right? I don't know when we're getting, coming back to this house, so uh, let's just hang out with them until 11, I'll, I'll, I'll go into work late. <laughs> and, and so if we're getting together more regularly, you relieve that problem. If you go to a park, you also relieve that problem. Uh, there was a family, my wife and I, uh, we, we loved them. They used to go here many years ago. They had just gotten married. They had a studio apartment. We had a kid already. They had us over in the studio apartment. Uh, there was a crawl space that they put, like, pads and stuff and toys, and that's where uh, little Titus crawled around. And they, they pulled the table over, and they sat on their bed. Uh, that's how small this place was. And when we sat down to eat, the, the funniest thing I've ever experienced at someone's home, that's when they realized they only had two forks. And she had made uh, this noodle dish. And so each couple got a fork, and, and we sat there eating it. <laughs> and it was one of the best times we've ever had, not only with that family, but with any family. Um, and so I, I'm telling you, we, there are families in this church. You go to their very beautiful home, and you drink $30 bottles of wine, and, and that's, uh, that's amazing. And there are some families where you cram <laughs> around a little tiny table and uh, you drink $2 bottles of wine, and that's also amazing. Because what, what matters is the fellowship. We let the things of the world just totally gut punch us and take us out of the hospitality thing. Because we're worried about the clean house, we're worried about the size of the house, we're worried about the quality of the food, um, in fact, well, the family with the $30 bottles of wine, I decided to take it up a notch. We buy now $5 bottles of wine when people come up. Because if they're going to splurge, I'm going to splurge. <laughs> and, and, and this is funny here, but you, you guys will go home, and, and you'll think hospitality, and then you'll think of 10 reasons why not to do it, and you won't do it. Jesus didn't stay in heaven. He didn't stay away. He came here, and he would take anyone's invitation to eat. He would do it. Uh, do you want to know if you're out of a ghetto? How often are you inviting people over? How often are you going out to lunch with them? How often are you letting your wife go out to happy hour with some lady where they can just sit and 
and talk. How often are the tables that we own full of people? Now, please know, I am not saying that now what you're going to do is on Tuesday you're going to have lunch with so-and-so, and Thursday you're having dinner with them, and Saturday you're going to take so-and-so to a park. Please don't do that. You'll kill your wife. What I'm saying, though, is if you... When's the last time? When's the last time you had someone over to your home? Since January, how many people in this church have you had over in your home? Okay, we live in ghettos. And we wonder why we have no effect on the culture around us. We're not even being the church to one another. We're we're totally avoiding it. And and we're going to go back now. Oh, here he goes again. He's gut-punching us about hospitality. This is that thing they can't stop talking about. What did Jesus do? He's, it says very clearly in John fifteen sixteen. he's called you and he's equipped you to bear fruit. If you don't have what it takes, go to him. If, if you're worried about the sin, if you're worried about the brokenness, if you're worried about all that darkness coming into your home now because you've gone through it before, go to him. He's the one that prepares you for this. He's the one that equips you to do it. He's the one that's called you to do it. And you're either faithful or you're not. And, and as it was read for us earlier today, if you say you have fellowship with him and you do not have fellowship with one another, you're a liar. Are you in a ghetto or are you out of it? Do you love him or don't you? Well, okay, I'm not going to ask you how you feel about him. I'm going to ask you this. If you love him, you do the things that he did. There was no barrier too big. There was no person too small, no person too sinful, no person out of the way. He crossed all the boundaries, and he loved the people he met. He walked down the road. He ignored no one. Someone needed his help. He gave it to them. The, the community of God needed him. He gave them everything that they needed. He gathered around tables with people. He received hospitality. He gave it. Now, you're not going to be able, again, I, I'm not, let's back up. I'm not saying now that every night this week, please have a different family church over. Please don't do that. Make some kind of plan. Work on the basal ganglia. Get some kind of habit going where hospitality becomes more of a thing. Because if you're not doing what Jesus did, you don't love him. You just don't love him the way that you think you do. You can say it. You can pass the theology test. But if you're not doing what he did, you don't love him. Now, the destination is Jesus. Uh, Everything I'm going to say here, this is going to be real quick, because, I mean, how many points are we up to now? 50? This is why this sermon is anticlimactic. It's a lot of stuff. But this is how you tell you're in a ghetto or out of it. Are you initiating and investing in the people in this community? That's how you tell. If you're not doing those things, you're still living in a ghetto. Now, I understand that everything I'm saying is hard. I I don't expect all of us to suddenly go out and do this overnight. Go back to last week. Work on your habits of regular fellowship with Jesus Christ. And I believe if you do that, all the rest of this will just begin to happen. Some of you might be confused about exactly what the next step is. That's why I've given you so much information. But I honestly believe if you go back and love him more, sit at his feet, interact with him more, you will just do these things. This is why I can tell that you guys are having a difficult relationship with Jesus. It's because you're not living the way that I'm describing here. This is the thing that we need to think more about and talk more about. If you have one, you have the other. We're all worried about why we don't have more of this over here, and it's because we don't have more of him. Fix this, and this will fix itself. 
right? I, I, we're sitting around playing our guitars, gently weep, and it sounds awful. <laughs> it just sounds awful. And it's because we all need to go back to the teacher and retune our guitars. The destination is Jesus, okay? People who are of, the, of God need to be, need, they need three things from you. They need to be confirmed that they are children of God. They need to be comforted because this is a big, scary place in which we live. And they need to be confronted. Confirmed, comforted, and confronted. You're unfinished. You're unfinished, and you're unfinished, and you're unfinished, and you're unfinished. And what we need is I need you to tell me I am the Son of God. You are called. You are equipped. I need someone else to tell me that. Because belief comes through hearing. And I, I can only tell myself it so many times. What I need is someone else to tell me. What you need is someone else to tell you. You need that confirmation. If you can, we spend so much time thinking about exegeting the word of God, we don't spend any time thinking about exegeting people. It, it could be as simple, there is someone sitting here and all they need is someone to confirm to them that they are in fact a believer. Maybe that is all the difference in their life. Some people need to be comforted. We know a great deal about this. We spent a lot of time talking about this. Sin happens. The fall has happened. We, got to, we need comfort because it's a big and scary world where things happen we don't understand. And the last one is one I, I, I honestly believe we don't do at all, which is confront one another. Uh, we have a lot of peace and unity in one sense, but it's not the kind of peace and unity that the, the gospel produces. The absence of conflict in one sense is great. But I actually believe what this church needs is a great deal more conflict. The kind of interpersonal conflict you find in Matthew chapter 17. Dealing with one another. If I want to deal with your speck, I've got to deal with my own log. If I deal with my own log, I'm dealing with sin right here. Right? I'm confronting the sin right here. Then when I'm, I'm, I'm in a spiritual state to go and deal with your speck. This is the loop that we don't have. It's all quiet on the Western Front. We're not prepared to deal with the conflict in the world out there because we can't deal with the conflict right here. And we don't have any conflict. The absence of peace is not, right? Or peace isn't simply the absence of conflict. We have a table set in the midst of enemies. That's peace. Joy is the presence of Jesus Christ. Do we have, if we don't have those things, we don't have joy, we don't have this table in the midst of our enemies, if it's just a table amongst sort of friends, so-so friends, it, we're not living the church triumphant. Okay, this is what people need. They need to be confirmed and comforted and confronted. I need it and you need it. Uh, and, and this is, nobody, who wants this? Right? In our flesh, who wants this? I'm going to go so far as to say this. In my spirit, if my spirit is just humming and I'm doing great, I still don't really want this. I could be in a very high spiritual state and I still, right? I'm so high on the spiritual state, the last thing I want is somebody to tell me that I'm a jerk to my wife. And, and sometimes what, what, what concerns me about myself a great deal is I don't, I worry whether anyone would tell me. I don't know what I don't know. You know. I could be a terrible dad. I, I, I doubt whether anyone in here would tell me that. 
And that's why I'm here doing this series. And it, it happens. I had a friend recently um, who actually said to me, what's the point of all the ministry if your kids are a terror? And I could have kissed his hand. Anyway, we play it safe. Race covers a multitude. It's true. It's true. What about all the other stuff? Are you living in a ghetto? I think you are. How do you get out of the ghetto? Go and sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. How will you know that he's led you out? When you're loving people the way he loves them. When there is holy, good, beautiful conflict. When sin is being dealt with the way that the gospel says to deal with it. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What is the ministry of this church? Are we doing that ministry? In some ways, yes. In some ways, there's movement. But in a lot of ways, we are avoiding the mechanism that finishes us. And so we're unfinished disciples, and we will remain unfinished disciples unless we get into the mix with one another. Unless we become better friends with Jesus and with one another. So my last thing I'm going to say is, is the example I gave in the, I think in the second sermon about the crippled man who, who, whose hand was stuck like this. And, and he had the surgery and, and it opened his hand. And all he had to do was go to physical therapy on a regular basis and keep working that hand so that it would work properly. But he didn't. So all the hope, all the expense, all, all, all the joy that lay before him, he, he let it slip through his fingers, Literally because he just didn't go and work that hand. Sermons like these, series like these, get us to open the hand. And unless we actually do the work of opening and closing it and working it and working it and working it, it'll just go back to being stiff again. There was a lot of information in the last five weeks. I do encourage you to go back and listen to the sermons again. Jesus Christ is at hand. He's called you. He's equipped you to bear abundant fruit that abides. That is a huge and beautiful thing. From top to bottom, left to right, meditate on what that means. He's called you and equipped you. And, and I need that. I need you to be called and equipped. And, and I firmly believe you need it too. And so let's do that in the name of Jesus Christ together. Amen.
Father, we thank you so much for your word and for your body. We thank you, Father, for mercy and your kindness. Uh, We know that we are not perfect and we cannot become perfect in this world. We know, Father, that we are unfinished. We know, Father, that the work of the gospel goes on every day in each of our homes and each of our hearts. We pray, Father, that you would give us faith, that you would give us a passion for Jesus Christ, that you would rend heaven and pour your spirit down upon us, that we would learn to tune our guitars to you, and that together we would lift up a beautiful and unified song. Amen.